right. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 28 and 29. We know this verse, these two verses, and we'll read it. If you'd like to stand, certainly you can while we reread these two verses. Very familiar. I pray that God would really speak today in just a further understanding, not just in our intellect, but it begins there, but also it would sift to our hearts. So if you'd like to stand while you read, you can do that. All right, let's read together. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, all right. Right as we look at it, that God works for the good all things in a believer's life. Now, he's talking to believers here. He's not talking to unbelievers, we know. But those of you who have believed in followers of Christ, he's speaking of these things. And we're going to talk about it today. I pray you be encouraged by it. But what I want to talk about certainly today are the lies that we believe about our circumstances. We've talked about the lies we believe about ourselves, the lies we believe about God, the lies we believe about our feelings. And now today about our circumstances, because that's what we're in every day. We've got circumstances. Last week, we talked about our feelings. And, you know, a lot of people will say, just follow your heart. Well, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful beyond measure. <laughs> and so we don't. We want to know the truth because the truth is is where it's all at. But sometimes the feelings, they vacillate, may not be truth at all. But I feel like this or I feel like that. That's why we need to know the word of God, get the word of God down deep in our hearts that we'll be able to know what God says about this. Because when we look at things and our feelings or whether or not we look at our circumstances or whatever, whatever they are, we need to see those through the eyes of God. How does God see these things? And what is God doing in your life and my life when things are not working out the way that I thought that they would? Or maybe everything is great today for a lot of you here. Maybe everything is not any issues at all. And that's great. And that's wonderful. But it could be some of us, we're going through a crucible. We're changing. Things are changing around us. We're seeing our culture change today, which we need to pray. And we've asked God's uh, kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we know that our prayers make a difference. And so don't give up praying. So today we're going to talk about those lies that we believe about our circumstances. I'm going to start with a particular story here. And in the children's book by Judith Voiced called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, the title of the book, maybe you all know this one, the young boy at the center of the story is having a bad day. He said this, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. He goes on to tell about his day. There were lima beans for dinner and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas and I hate my railroad train pajamas. And when I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow. He said that I could keep and the Mickey Mouse 
nightlight burned out and I bit my tongue. And the cat wants to sleep with Anthony and not with me. It was has been a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad day. Can we relate? Okay. Sometimes uh, it's been a horrible, horrible, no day. It seems like nothing is going right in our lives. And that could be certainly said. And we know all of us could testify to this. But the psalmist in Psalm 55 says this. Oh, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. And sometimes we just want to fly away, don't we? If we can just get away from this mess and things, and sometimes it seems like it accumulates, certainly here. But certainly, if those words describe your experience, and maybe have, and maybe you're not in it right now, but maybe things have have been like that in your past, then there is hope for you and for me. So the first lie here about our circumstances I want to look at, and it is the lie. If my circumstances were different, I would be different. Anybody ever thought that? If my circumstances, this young boy, he had a real, some bad circumstances. And we sometimes think, well, if my circumstances were different, then I would be different. It would change everything. So have you ever said that? I wouldn't have lost my temper if so-and-so didn't do such-and-such. Or I'd be happy uh, adult if my parents hadn't done such-and-such to me. It's all my past here. And if this lie were true, then we would be victims of our circumstances. And if we're victims, then we're not responsible. Somebody else is. We always want to blame somebody else. And we live in that type of culture today, don't we? It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. I didn't do that, you know. And somebody's sitting there looking at you and whatever it is that you did, you're doing it directly in front of them and they're denying that they're doing it. Or somebody else caused that, right? So if we're victims then we can't help being the way that we are. And if we're victims, then we can't be held accountable for our actions here. And I believe that's the lie Satan tries to convince you to take the blame game. If only we didn't have to move. If only. And you think about it, all of our circumstances, we look back and man, we have regrets. And you go, oh man, if only, if only. And all these regrets that we have here, If only we had more money. I think this is one probably comes up every time that you pay the bills. Did you ever notice that the more your income increases, so do the bills? Now, I'm not talking about inflation today. We know that's uh, on the rise and we know that. But if I only had more money, if I only lived closer or further from this particular place that I wanted to live or wherever parents or friends or whatever, if, if only here. And so Satan wants to deceive us into thinking that our happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. He does that to us too. Think about it. But the truth of the matter is, if you're not content with our current circumstances, then we wouldn't be happy with any other circumstance either. You change the circumstances. You can change everything can be hunky-dory. Actually, we talked about it, Nancy thought on Ecclesiastes this morning. And Solomon, we believe, wrote it. And he just said, you know, everything is meaningless. Vanity. I have got all the wealth in the world. Got, he's got a thousand women. I'm not sure of the advantage there, but that's, what, that's what's being said. That's what happened to him. But 
All the things that he had. He was ruler, obviously, at that time. The king and all. And he came to the end of his life. And he said, everything's meaningless. No value at all. All those things that I did and so forth and all. Then all my circumstances in my life, they haven't had one iota of an effect upon what obviously really important in our lives here. Martha Washington, the wife of our first president, wrote this. She said, I am still determined to be cheerful and happy in whatever situation I may be. For I've also learned from experience that the greater part of our happiness or misery depends on our dispositions and not on our circumstances. And we carry the seeds of the one or the other about with us in our minds wherever we go. Our disposition and how we live our lives. But let me just read here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Paul said this, and he says, I have learned, learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul said he had learned. So it didn't come instantaneously. Paul said he had to learn to be content. And so where do we learn (laughs) to be content? We learn in God's classroom, right? Discipline 101, right? In how we live our lives. That's where the rubber hits the road. And just like what we learned last week, that we may not be able to control our emotions, but we can prevent them from controlling us. So it is with our circumstances. We may not be able to control them, but we keep our circumstances from controlling us. The passage here, again, Paul learned. He learned that here to be content here. So it was a result, what? Of a struggle. For the Apostle Paul, it will be for us also. So it's a result of Paul passing through tough circumstances and learning one of the hardest lessons of life in order to learn who was the source of true contentment. Where did he learn it? Again, Thessalon 101, Tribulation 102. Consider here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from, from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. He'd been through it. He learned it. He was in danger. Sometimes when we hit hard times, it's kind of like, well, we think this is only happening to us and it hasn't happened to anybody else. We know it hasn't. But in our minds, the way we respond is certainly in that particular manner. And God is doing something in your life and my life when that takes place. I don't like all of my circumstances. I don't like sometimes the way people treat me. I don't like sometimes the way people, what they say about me and so forth. And may you, you may not either. Or the way life is turning out, didn't turn out the way that is not turning out the way you did and so forth. But, but the thr- thrust of what we're saying here is our God rules and reigns. And our God is sovereign. And he's providential. And I'll explain what that is in just a moment. But it's very important to understand that in your life and my life. We are not in this life alone. God Almighty is with us. Remember last week I shared about the fact that all those people used throughout the scriptures 
Most of them were people there just like Gideon. When Gideon said, I am, <clears throat> I am the youngest in the lowest clan here. And remember the angel of the Lord called him forth to do the work that God called him to do. And he says, oh, you a mighty warrior, mighty valor. And he probably said, who's he talking to here? I'm scared to death of the Midianites and all. You know, he called him forth. He did all these things. And Gideon, you know, in all those, Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Remember? Moses said, I stutter. I can't talk before people. I can't do this. Remember? And I, I mentioned to you the fact that only God said only one thing. He said this, I will be with you. And so when you're going through circumstances, remember that. He said, I will be with you. I may not explain the circumstances to you. You may not understand why it happened or how it happened. And I'm not saying through this whole message and as I share my heart in this, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. You need to pray and you need to do spiritual warfare. But I'm talking today about things that you know are affecting your life. And if it's not affecting you today, more than likely before the week is over, it will be. Because life is tough. Life is a result of a struggle here. And so consider these things, Paul says here, I've been through a lot. And so the Apostle Paul calls it a secret or mystery here. The secret of mystery is that of contentment, which means to be satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed or disquieted. Coming to a place of peace. How many people today that you know, they're not at peace at all because the circumstances are controlling their life. The circumstances have come in. You know, financially, we're being crunched, okay, on a fixed income. Everything's going up. Everything, gas, everything that goes out. It seems like my cash flow is not as good as what it has been in the past, okay? Everybody understands that. And so we know that, obviously, these circumstances around us, but we can't allow whatever circumstance it is. And I'm talking financially, health, whatever it is, challenges in the family, Challenges just in your emotional state that we have and so forth to disturb the contentment that God said he'll give it to you. But we learn it. We don't. It doesn't come automatically here. You know, if we weren't aren't worried about what you're going to lose or pain or gain and what you want or need. But are satisfied sufficiently that it doesn't disturb you to have the miss a meal or not change of clothes or whatever the need may be then you understand what contentment is. Because the Apostle Paul has given us a good illustration here, certainly here. And so most of us can make a list of things that we wish we had. Nothing wrong with this. Better car, if we have a job, more income, nicer home, whatever, food in the fridge, whatever. It isn't bad to say these things. But when we're disturbed because we don't have something, when it steals our peace and causes us to be upset, then we don't understand contentment. Oh my goodness. Everybody hearing this? Wow. When it disturbs our peace, when anything disturbs our peace, then we're probably in that school that God has put us in and the school of discipline 101. He's teaching us, obviously. He's growing us up. You know, the Bible talks about there in... Uh, I'm trying to think of the book, but he says, you know, you think you can run with the horses? <laughs> oh, no, you're not there yet. Hey, God is, is, is grooming us. He, he's maturing us. He's sanctifying us, you and me. He's changing our hearts 
about how we relate to him and also how we relate to others, but also how we relate to our circumstances because he wants us to be content. And I believe that God wants to wean us from any dependency on decaying things of this world to provide us with satisfaction. And they are decaying. We know that, don't we? Dwight Pentecost wrote this. Air and water are two entirely different elements or spheres. If it's, it is impossible to have a vessel filled with air and water at the same time. One that is filled with air must have the air displaced in order to be filled with the water. Similarly, if a man's life is given over to the pursuit of material things, that life cannot then be filled with Jesus Christ. Until that love for material things is displaced, that life cannot and will not be filled with Jesus Christ, certainly until it's displaced. And when a man gives himself to the pursuit of all that is involved in this world and makes his position and its material things, his goal and his standard and the center of his life, he will not find the satisfaction that comes from making Jesus Christ the center of his life. To be content is the opposite of to be covetousness, to be greedy or to be worldly or to be materialistic. The reason material things can never make a man content is that a man is never able to get enough of them to satisfy him. And I mentioned in Sunday school, John D. Rockefeller said this when he was asked, how much money is enough? And he thought a moment and said, just a little more than one has. Now, this is one of the richest men in the world. How much more? How much more? More, more, more. And it's what we heard in Sunday school today. It's all meaningless. Vanity. Hazel is certainly, I believe, the Hebrew word. But it's not worth it. We fill ourselves with all this stuff. And we're not satisfied. I've always said the new car smell goes away real quick. It doesn't stay there, right? One of the problems with a lot of Christians is they're not content with having their needs met. Jesus said that I'll supply all of your needs in Christ and, and you're in the in the Lord and Christ Jesus there. They're trying to get their wants met. And you can never ever satisfy your wants. You'll always want more. So the question for all of us today, what's driving your life? And the hard truth is that circumstances don't make us what we are. They reveal what we are. A young mother loses her patience with her children. And are the children to blame for her anger? They are if she believes the lie. But if she remembers the truth, all that her children did was reveal what was already on the inside of her hidden from herself and the rest of the world until something came to shake it out. You slam your thumb with a hammer and a cuss word comes out of your mouth. Did that hammer cause you to pronounce the expletive? No, it only revealed that you still had that in your heart. You see, circumstances are like a bouncing road to an upset stomach. Eventually, what is inside that stomach will be revealed, come out, if you will, because of the bouncing. If you think that you're a patient person, have some children, right? Get in a place where your patience is tested here. You'll discover that patience is developed and it's not inborn. It's not something necessarily. Some people have a bent. They seem to be more patient than others. But ultimately, it has to be. And still, it has to be learned. 
We grow in that. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Think about it in a minute. It's in the revelation of what our hearts really are like. Of the stuff that's in them. That we realize how much we need Jesus to make us holy. And that we are far from obtaining his righteousness of God. As God exposes every hidden corner of our life. We learn to lean upon his righteousness. And to reject any belief in our own. He begins to wean us off of those things. Even our dependency upon ourselves. When we come to a place of contentment, we realize we're totally dependent upon God Almighty. We realize that every good and perfect gift comes down from, from above, from the Father of lights. We realize all these things in our life. We realize when we're hurting that somehow, as we've always said, that God has allowed this in your life to teach us something. I don't like it always. And man, I squirm. And sometimes I squeal. But I ask the Lord, when I finally get through it and I come back and say, okay, Lord, what are you teaching me in this moment of time? I don't like that. I don't like these, these circumstances. We just really love to look and sound good to other people, don't we? I can come in here all day long. Here we go. Here, Jim, the preacher. Here we go. And so forth and all. But you see, when the pressure gets on Jim Barcliffe, then really you see who I am. You see that. And that every now and then it comes out. And I'm going, Lord, you got still you got more work to do on me. I haven't arrived. And that's what he's saying here today. It makes us realize that Jesus, you need to make me holy. We know we're positionally holy because we have Christ, you know, who we've been saved and so forth. But there is a progressive holiness that we are to pursue. We're to become more like him here. And so when you fail, have the humility, acknowledge your struggles. People will be drawn to Christ in you. Jonathan Edwards stated this. Nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. Charles Spurgeon said, humility is a make a right estimate of oneself. Do we know our weaknesses? Do we know sometime when we fail? Do we realize this? That we, haven't, we haven't arrived, right? Okay. Lie one. Circumstances that just better than obviously I'd be, I'd be a whole lot better for me. The second lie here as we look at is suffering isn't God's will. Now, I want to say this. You don't, this is not saying don't pray about it. God's our healer, Jehovah Rapha. And we know we pray for healing. We see healing. That's not what I'm talking about here. But ultimately, somehow, there are different things that we suffer. Not necessarily physical, although that's part, that's also there. But we live in a culture in the West that does everything it can alleviate any form of pain or suffering. Uh, we hate suffering so much that obviously we, we just do anything to get out of that here. And so we know that obviously there is suffering involved. And Hebrews chapter 5 says this, Although he was a son... He learned obedience from what he suffered. He learned that. Jesus had to learn that. Learning is a process. Jesus learned from what he suffered here. If Jesus suffered, not only on the cross, but in his life, if he wasn't exempt from the pains of the body and daily life, then why should we here 
First Peter chapter 2 says this. To this you were called because Christ suffered to, for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We're called to suffer for others, to give ourselves to others, because that is what Jesus did for us. And we follow the same Lord, not a different one, certainly here. Paul, obviously, uh, informs us that we need to stop hitting our toes. Pain, pardon me, pain informs us that we've got to stop hitting our toes on the rocks. Pain tells us, don't put your hand in that fire. We learn that way. Kids will learn sometimes the hard way, right? Pain is a tool to learn from here. And so the only place that we will be exempt from suffering is when we go to heaven and we'll have our new bodies at that time. First Peter chapter 5 says this, The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered for a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. It is in this passage I'm convinced that God permits us to suffer so that we will learn dependency upon him and not ourselves. I love the mountaintops. I've always said that. But when you're in the valley, when things are not going right, I don't like the valleys. I love on the mountaintops. Everything is good. It's fresh air. Man, you get a lot of sunshine. You get down in the valley and things get tough, get wild and woolly. But he goes on to say here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul is asking God to remove the thorn from his flesh, remember? We're not sure what that was. It could have been a physical ailment that Paul had because I believe possibly Paul had some revelation and had gone up to the third heaven, which is paradise, which is actually heaven. And he said, these things that God has revealed to me, I can't share them. They're too intimate. They're too personal. He's one day you'll see that. But right now I can't share them. Can't pin them. They're just too great and so forth. So he said to keep him from boasting and becoming proud. Now this is the Apostle Paul. To keep him from becoming proud. Remember he had the thorn in the flesh. And Paul obviously he prayed three times. Please Lord remove it. Heal me from it. Take it away from me. And God what did he tell him? He says my grace is sufficient. For you. Because in obviously your weakness. I'm the strongest. That doesn't make sense to the world. But that's what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore we don't lose heart. But though outwardly we're wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary afflictions. Are achieving for us a glory. That far outweighs them all. We fix our eyes not on those things that are seen. But those things that are unseen, because those things that are seen are temporary. Those things that are unseen are eternal. He's saying here, we're wasting away. Everybody knows that. Though outwardly we're wasting away. But yet he says something very encouraging to me. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. We're getting stronger on the inside. You're getting weaker on the outside because of all this pain you're suffering. And all these things that obviously we pray for and continue to pray. But we know inwardly you're getting stronger. Why? It's because when you come to a place of contentment and thanking and praising him, no matter what the circumstances are, that's when God's saying, this is what I desire. And it may be a sacrifice of praise. It may be something you have to do. it. You don't feel like it. Remember, we talked about our feelings is that we don't always do the thing. We just because we don't feel like it. We do it because it's truth. It blesses God here. We can either become bitter or we can become better, right? 
And we're reminded here that, that obviously our first purpose and that we are created for God's pleasure, not our own. We've got to stop living as sinners of the universe and worship the one who is. See, it's all about self. And I mentioned last week, selfishness will take over your life. But Jesus said this. He said, you know, if you lose your life for me, then you'll gain it. But if you try to hang on to it, it's going to be taken from you, right? But giving your life away, if you lose your life for Jesus, then you'll gain life. Just the opposite of that, what the world tells us, to get all the gusto you can get today. Today, obviously, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. We die. Get it all, you see. God says, give it away here. Trouble can work for you or against you. Listen to this story about a king. Try to make it simple so that you can track with me here. It's an old story. It's told of a king in Africa who had a close friend with whom he grew up. And the friend had a habit of looking at every situation that ever occurred in his life, positive or negative, and remarking, this is the friend. This is good. And one day the king and his friend were out on a hunting expedition and the friend would load and prepare the guns for the king. And the friend had apparently done something wrong in preparing one of the guns. For after taking the gun from his friend, the king fired it and his thumb was blown off, off the king. Examining the situation, the friend remarked as usual, this is good. To which the king replied, no, this is not good. And proceeded to send his friend to jail. After a year later, the king was hunting in an area that he should have known to stay clear of because there were cannibals there. Cannibals. And the, one of the cannibals captured him and took him to their village. And they tied his hands and stacked some wood and set up a stake and bound him to the stake. And as they came near to set the fire to the wood, they noticed that the king was missing a thumb. And being superstitious, they never ate anyone that was less than whole. And so untying the king, they sent him on his way. And as we returned home, he's reminded of the event that had taken his thumb and felt remorse for his treatment of his friend. And he went immediately to the jail to speak with his friend. And he said, you were right. It's good that my thumb was blown off. And he proceeded to tell the friend all that had just happened. And so I'm very sorry for sending you to jail for so long. It was bad for me to do this. No, his friend replied, this is good. What do you mean this is good? How could it be that I sent my friend to jail for a year? If I had not been in jail, I would have been with you. His friend didn't have a blown off thumb either. And they would have eaten the dude. Okay. No, it's good. See, we don't understand and we don't have the big picture, do we? We don't have that. But in Romans 8, 28, 29, you read it. And we know that God causes, causes all things to work together for good. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say God causes everything to work out the way I want it to. God causes everything. It doesn't say that God causes everything to have a happy ending on earth. We live in a fallen world. We know that God causes and means that your life is not a random series of events. Can I say that again? It means that our life 
is not a random series of events. There is a master plan. And we might mistake, obviously. We've made many mistakes, but God never does. Everything, he says, means that God's plan for you in your life includes all that's happened to you and will happen to you. Now, listen to this. This includes your mistakes, your failures, your sins, your illnesses, your debt, your disasters, your divorce, and even your death. And I say those things, and I could say a lot more, but I'm saying those to say everything means everything. You ever think of it that way? Even your failures, even your sins, even when we obviously have wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ, it says, yet Christ died. Yet while we are still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. He didn't wait. For us to get our act cleaned up and kind of get back right and get everything straight. No, he says that he came while we were still sinners. Christ went to Calvary for you and for me. Now, that's good news. That is the greatest news there ever be. The events of our lives are not isolated acts. They work together when God uses them. Nothing, nothing is accidental. There are no accidents in your life and my life because I want to tell you, if we believe that this sort of life is just randomly, we are going through life and all these things are happening. You know, again, either God ordains it or else it sifts through his hands and he has to allow it. We pray and we seek the Lord and we do spiritual warfare and we do all of these things. But ultimately, we know that God has to allow it for it to have an effect upon you. Listen to this story. Don't lose heart. Shake it off. One day a farmer's donkey fell down into a well and the animal cried piteously for hours as the farmer tried to figure out what to do. And finally he decided the animal was old and and the well needed to be covered up anyway. It just wasn't worth it to retrieve the donkey. So he invited all his neighbors to come over and help him. And they all grabbed the shovel and began to shovel dirt into the well. At first, the donkey realized what was happening and cried horribly. And then, to everybody's amazement, he quieted down. And a few shovel loads later, the farmer finally looked down to the well. And he was astonished at what he saw. With every shovel of dirt that hit his back, the donkey was doing something amazing. He would shake it off and take a step up. And as the farmer's neighbors continued to shovel dirt on top of the animal, he would shake it off. And take a step up. Pretty soon, everyone was amazed as the donkey donkey stepped up over the edge of the well and he trotted off. What is it saying to you and me today? Shake it off. There's a whole lot of dirt coming on all of us, right? There's a whole lot of circumstances that are obviously filling us up. And and so what did the donkey do? The donkey is pretty smart. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not going to say what the donkey other name of that is because I was raised on a farm. But we're not that, right? But the donkey was smart enough to shake it off. How come we can't shake it off? Somebody says a cross word at you. Somebody says something or maybe you have a circumstance that came out of the clear blue. You had no idea where it was coming. And it hits you, broadsides you. 
Never expected it. Shake it off. Shake it off. And in the shaking off, what you do, you run to the Lord whose arms are always open wide. Amen. Always. Whose arms come to the altar. Run to the fathers who, whose arms are always open wide. Shake it off. I think sometimes, again, we think that our life is just a mixture of random acts that come at us. And obviously we are, obviously we know we never say this, but that we are in it all along by ourselves. And remember what I've started this with? When God told all of those that he called, he didn't give them a long explanation. He doesn't have to give me a long explanation. He doesn't get, have to give you a long explanation. All he says is, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now that's good news, folks. Because when the God of all creation says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, we have all we need. And when we have Jesus Christ, we have all we need. And so God is bringing you and, and me, and he is weaning us off of those things that we are dependent upon. And we are more dependent upon things than we've ever realized. And I've talked about dependency, working in hospice and watching people at the end of their life and all. And we need to learn that, to be dependent upon God completely. That God Almighty is in control. And remember, sovereign God means that he rules and reigns. That doesn't mean we don't participate with him. And doesn't mean, because we obviously can do things that are not what God would have us to do. But it means, ultimately, He rules. He's over all. And so providentially, it means actually that He's like that, that person playing chess. And He's moving those chess pieces into place just the way He was in your life and my life. And he's making that, obviously, that we've talked about those particular cross stitchings and so forth. If you look at the front of it, it's beautiful. And you look at the back of it, it's just a maze of nothing but scraps of, of, of thread and so forth and all. And he's got a master plan. He's working out your life, my life. So whatever it is you face or whatever you have faced or what you're facing today, he's moving you around to get you to a place that he would have you to be. And you're going, yeah, but... Man, it doesn't feel like it. Remember we talked about last week. It's not based on the feelings. But you know, I've sinned gravely against the Lord. Have you asked him to forgive you? Well, yes, but I don't feel like he has. Remember what the word says. He said, when you ask for forgiveness, you confess it to the Lord. It's done. It's forgotten. It is, it's thrown as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103. Keeps on going. Never sees it. Never brings it up again. And it's not based upon our feelings. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Because you and I, we don't know what we do. I don't know my motives. I don't know my attitude. Sometimes my attitude stinks sometimes. But whatever it may be, we don't know. But God knows. But he said, you're forgiven because of what my son did for you. And it's all grace. The whole thing is grace. Amen? Amen. Shake it off. Shake it off. I don't know who here needs to shake it off today. Shake it off. Step up out of that hole. Give God praise. Give Him the glory. Circumstances don't control us. No matter what comes at us, we know that we obviously are not made 
and don't have to be made because of our circumstances. We're being made more like Jesus. That second verse 29 says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, when God predestines something, do you think he can make it happen? Amen. He said he's conforming me and you to Jesus in the image of Jesus Christ. And I'm going, wow, it doesn't look like it, Lord. Remember, I don't care. It's truth. Go and stand on the word of God and shake it off. God says, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God said, I'm, I'm a conqueror, not just a conqueror, but more than a conqueror through him who loved us. I had the victory in Jesus Christ. He paid it all and all to him I owe. And Jesus is saying today, all we do is we shake it off. Whether we're going to believe the word of God or we're not determines the choice that you make and I make. My feelings are all over the board. And you know, every time I told you, anytime I preach on something like this, I am tested the next week, trust me. And I have been tested. My feelings. And remember last week also, we talked about Peter, he opened mouth and started foot. He is used by God. And I'll reiterate this this week. Remember, and Pastor Robert Marsh said this, he said, you know, we have a touch of divinity in our lives. Now, we're not God, but divinity. But we got a whole lot of humanity. We haven't arrived yet. But God's saying he's not finished with us. And he chose Peter. And Peter obviously eventually believed that he was crucified upside down for his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We have been chosen. You and I. We didn't just randomly come here to church. Somehow we showed up over here off of 3rd Street. It's because God has chosen us. And we've given our heart and life to Jesus Christ your chosen generation, a royal priesthood called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we can praise him forevermore. We're chosen. Don't let the devil try to beat you around because of your circumstances and the circumstances controlling you, your emotions controlling you, your feelings controlling you. Shake it off. Get behind me, Satan, in Jesus' name. And keep on walking. Amen? Amen. Thank you. All right. We got something we want to go over and pray. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. And Father, we just pray you penetrate our hearts with, with your truth. Because Lord, we are, are here to hear truth. We want to encounter truth. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's all we want, to know the truth. We want to be free. So I pray for every person here today. If they're not free in a particular area. That Father Truth would set us free. We would have faith. If there's something here somebody dealing with. Maybe a habit or addiction or whatever it may be. Whatever it may be a habit. And you're going I don't like this. And all that. Don't beat yourself up about it. Remember. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But go to the Lord and say Lord. I bring it to you. I just bring this to you today. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't want it. I want to hate it like you hate it. And I want to live and walk and follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So that may be you today. Maybe a fresh commitment just to renewal of your faith. And by faith, I believe in the grace of God that he will free me from this. God Almighty will do it if we'll trust him. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful day. In Jesus' name, amen.